I think when we first started the conversation, we said, hey, integrity is something that I think you guys all know about, right? But I actually would argue how many people know that there was two definitions and how many Mm. of them know that there is that second part, right? Because I think the evolution of this, this word is going from just being a good person, good character, you know, having good character in difficult situations Mm -hmm. to understanding that it's the, the, it's the whole part that's actually important. The undivided part, the, you know, when you set a moral compass, how connected are you to that moral compass that you've set for yourself? Welcome back, everyone, to the Modern Masculinity Podcast, a space designed to help redefine what it means to be a man in the modern era. Our hope with this podcast is to support men on their journey towards becoming the best possible version of themselves by providing insight, support, perspective, but most importantly, a safe space to live authentically with a community of conscious kings. Every week, we will take a deep dive into topics such as toxic masculinity, men's mental health, personal relationships, conscious leadership, and powerful guest appearances. Men, we see you, we hear you, and we are standing tall beside you every single day in the arena of misunderstood masculinity. Let's get into today's episode. What's going on? What's going on, everyone? Hello and hello. Welcome back to another episode of the Modern Mask Unity Podcast. I'm your co-host, CK, aka Coach Kyle. What's going on, my people? It's Anwar Ahmed, a.k.a. A-squared. And today, we have a powerful concept, as always. Today, we're talking about a word I know you all know, but maybe haven't broken down. And we want to break it down because we haven't really broken it down. But it came from a conversation we had last week. And the conversation is about integrity. Being integrous, I believe, is how they put it. But before we do that, you always know what time it is. Moo. Hey, yo, Coach hey, Kyle. Hey, What's going on, big man? How you doing shake? today, brother? How you doing? What is shake? I don't know what it is with what's shaking bacon, but for some reason, that's something I'm saying all the time. What's shaking bacon? Which is hilarious because I'm vegan, so that makes it even more weird. Yeah, and and, and like I'm Muslim, so like stuff a lot. Like, what's going on here, man? <laughs> Just, this is not the platform for that at all. No, it's Turkey not. bacon at best, and even then, it doesn't even work for you. So it's, <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, let's just leave it at what's shaking, man. <laughs> what's shaking? What's shaking? Okay, okay, okay. Oh man, how's my mood? Mood, mood, mood. Hmm. You know, my mood has been fluctuating this week. To take it down a notch, uh, it has been left and right and up and down. It feels like. Definitely a whirlwind, a discombobulation, a just a rapidly changing mood. And I think that comes with the territory of where we are. And for those that are listening outside of Canada, uh, different things have been happening all over this country in different ways, in different provinces, and in different levels of, I guess, let's say control and change. And Calgary is obviously included in that. And a lot of things have been happening and it's, you know, this pandemic, I feel like, uh, I just, can we just end it, man? Can (laughs) you've, you've spoken about it. Can, can it just be done? Like, I really, I came back to the city of Calgary and we have been very appreciative of the fact that we've been open a lot 
And a lot of things have been smooth. And, you know, you were joking about the other day, but we just went into um, a reinstatement of masks and we haven't been with masks for a long time. And that was really annoying. And then we changed our liquor sales to 10 and we changed the whole structure of everything. And it just felt like we just went back to ground zero. And it, <laughs> your perspective was hilarious. You being in Toronto and you're like, what do you mean you're putting back masks on? Like we haven't taken them off. <laughs> and I'm sitting there and I'm like, yeah, yeah, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. So mm. that's where I'm like, the, the mood is all over the place, right? Because mm. at one point I'm frustrated that we're going, feels like we're just continuing to go forward and backwards and forward and backwards in the same way. And then the perspective change of like, we don't really have it that bad here though. Mm -hmm. There's way worse areas, not even in just the world, but in our own country that mm -hmm. are changing that way. So I would, it's tough for me to put a, a specific word on my mood in this moment. I feel fantastic because I feel like I've moved through a lot of that, but through the week, man, honestly, I've been pissed. I've been annoyed. I have been overjoyous in certain moments. I just came back from a trip to the cabin with the partner, which was incredible. So just like little moments have really changed my mood and it's hard to feel like I'm grounded mm -hmm. this week. I would say I'm feeling, I'm feeling very floaty. Like I'm, mm -hmm. my feet are not on the ground. Yeah. I, you can definitely hear some frustration in your voice. That's for sure. Um, with, you know, it was also a great, like, it was also just a great, like when I remember we were having that conversation about you talking about, you know, going back to wearing masks and I just remember how I felt. And it was just like, it was a very, it very much was like a great microcosm of like what privilege felt like, you know, cause I had a hard time even showing empathy. I'm like complaining about something that you're ahead at. Like we haven't even gotten there. Like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, and you really just feel sometimes like, you know, like sometimes you see something in a, in, a, in an experience that you're like, wow, I can actually like, if I amplified that experience, you could, you could see how maybe things are on a bigger level, you know, like privilege, you know, and that conversation was very small, but on a bigger level, like that's what it feels like. Is someone complaining right. about something that they were so far ahead in and you haven't even seen that. You're like, it's so really hard to be empathetic. Like it's really hard to even like give a damn about you complaining, you know, like it's like, <laughs> how, how can we, how can I even, if we all gain something and then we lost something, I understand, but it's like, so it's just funny. It's just interesting, right? It's just like it's, an interesting it's such an interesting comparison. Yeah, yeah. And I remember sitting in that moment, being like, "Bro, like, why are you giving me no empathy?" Like, <laughs> I was on, I was frustrated. I was like, "Bro, they made me put masks back on and, and changed my closing time to ten. Like, show me some damn love, man. Like, they took away." And then in this conversation now, it makes total sense. It's like, but bro, you just had so much privilege for months. What do you, what, what, what do you want? You want the world, which is so hilarious. It really is a conversation. And that's what maybe too, there's so much like resistance to this process. Cause so many people have it differently. Mm -hmm. And everyone is like, I remember living in Ontario and thinking about people back in Calgary and asking myself and asking them without asking them, what are you complaining about? I remember saying that to me, what do you complain? You have it so easy. Everything is open. You don't have to, like the things are moving in the great direction. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, you changed my environment. You put me in the city. And now I'm literally one of those people that I was asking that question to. It's hilarious. How quickly, how quickly things change. Like, it's just like, and then on like two things come to mind for me. It's like one, how uncomfortable do people feel if they are in a privileged position to actually explain how they feel, you know, mm -hmm. like, 
Cause like, it's still your truth. You're still frustrated. Like you're still annoyed. Like, you know, and it's still my truth that I'm like, do, do I really have enough emotional care to give a damn about how you feel? Like, you know, so it's like, it's on both sides. You're going to have to work. Both sides have right. to work. You know, it's, you have to find the care to understand that. Like, just because someone is upset about, you know, they're probably like, that, that would be like, we never feel bad for rich people or something like as if, you know, if someone was rich, they never, they have none of their feelings are valid. Like, you know right. what I mean? Um, and then that would just suffocate them to express themselves. And, you know, that would show that, you know, so on both sides, there's, there's a give and take, you know, you got to be able to find a way to empathize with, you know, a change for somebody else, whether they're in a better position than you or not. Mm -hmm. And on the other side, it's, you know, I guess, I guess what would be the privilege? Like, what would, like, what could you change in the situation of like, okay, you're telling your truth. Like, what would be the adjustment there? Like I could deploy more empathy to your situation and be like, Hey, that's his truth, you know? Uh, mm -hmm. and, and find a way to be more empathetic. What would be the what would be the other side, like uh, the privilege side? Maybe be more aware of like you know showing the showing the difference and being like, hey, I know that you guys haven't gotten this, but it's annoying for me. Like maybe you have to be more, you have to explain yourself a bit more. You know, if you're in a yeah. privileged situation, like you got to explain your context a bit better. Like oh, I, and and two, I think where that comes in is we live in this space where we think the world revolves around us. Mm -hmm. like in both contexts and not to say that that is overbearing but in that moment it was like the world is over yeah that's what that's what it sometimes feels like it feels like the world is over and that is a simple representation of how i feel like this entire world revolves around me sometimes and we all do that in our own unique ways we all do it sometimes and we've definitely been bred to do so we've definitely been conditioned to feel that way sometimes but because we have that like the idea that everything is about us, we don't see the comparison. Like I didn't see in that moment when I was talking to you that you haven't left that space. I didn't take myself out of myself. I just kept it really deeply in myself and said, right, well, this is pain for you. So that's all that matters mm -hmm. um, without relating. Like there wasn't an attempt at curiosity or relating. And that's not to say that I should negate my feeling, but I do feel that that's a big component of it all is like the world revolves around us. So like what I'm doing matters the most more than what's happening anywhere else. Um, yeah. And I feel like that's what uh, like a lot of the privileged conversations don't involve. They just, they just live in that space of, yes, I get this. And yes, it matters more. And yes, that's how it's going to be not. Oh, I wonder how they're feeling about that about now, or maybe, Oh, wait, wait a second. Now I understand that you haven't left that space and now that's how I feel. And that's how you've been feeling those kinds of contexts, but that's a, a higher level of like emotional intelligence that takes a lot of practice. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, lots, yeah, of, that's practice. Kind of, lots yeah. of practice. Um, yeah, my, uh, my, how, what, go ahead. How's your mood? I know yeah, you're about to say, say how's your yeah, mood? Yeah, yeah. My mood is, you know, I sometimes struggle to find a word like, you know, this is a, what I like about this practice of mood checks is like, it forces me to have to just like get out of the box of good, bad, like, you know, very, it look really challenges, but it doesn't make it any easier. You know, being mm -hmm. honest, it doesn't make it just because I've decided, Hey, I'm going to try to find words for how I'm feeling. It doesn't mean I just come up with them. So sometimes I don't really know how I feel um, exactly, but in terms of what's going on in my life right now, you know, I feel, I feel like sometimes when things are ending and things are starting, if you feel like you haven't accomplished what you wanted to in that section of your life, sometimes I can feel like there's a lot of um, frustration. And what I mean mm -hmm. by that is like summer is ending, fall is starting. If I feel like I didn't get to accomplish all the things I wanted to do in this summer box, all of that starts mm -hmm. to like play on your mind. You know, you're just like, oh, it's already over now. 
I didn't do this. I didn't do this. I didn't get to enjoy this. And it's like the frustration of that, that goal list or that to-do list or all the things you wanted to accomplish in that time start to manifest and they start to show up. And, you know, I think I'm dealing with a little bit of that. Like, I feel like I'm dealing with a little bit of the, the changing of all of the, the seasons right now, like going into the fall being like, did I actually, and then what do you mean? Like, what does summer mean for you too? Right? Like I'm trying to redefine what time means to me, what seasons mean to me, what summer means to me for a long time conditioning as a kid, summer was like, you have a lot of fun and then you get serious again, you know, like you're supposed to have so much fun. And then you get serious when September hits. And it's like, in my body, I'm like, I didn't have fun. Like, I didn't Mm. have fun in the summer. I didn't get to do like what traditional expectations of my mind is like, dude, summer is supposed to be like, how many times did you have like a picnic and a barbecue and like, like played spike ball and played basketball? Like, were you having, because even when you're in university, you get four months off, basically, like four months of just like, literally doing whatever the hell you want making money if that's like your what your grind is or your mo is but like it's a lot of just like having a good time and then september hits and you're like most people are like trying to get back into the habit of like having a structured mindset and like focus and all of those things and so i think i'm just noticing that like i'm still in that conditioning of thinking that like summer means like fun to me and so being out of alignment in that being like i don't this summer was pure work like i didn't stop working Mm -hmm. like it was just sunny like that was the only difference in like the like I'd be at the office or I'd be working in a, you know, a space and at seven o'clock or six 30, whenever you usually would pack up, I'm like, it's still sunny out. Like that was the main Mm. difference. Like, Oh, it's still sunny. Okay, cool. Catch a little bit of sun on the way on the walk home. But the process and the grind has never really stopped. And I think that's just the maturing process. I think that's just being an adult, like Mm. growing up, the seasons don't mean as much as they do as a kid. So I think I'm shedding a bit of like my childhood and a little bit in, in this summer, especially because this is the first time I've worked in a really professional setting where you actually get the two weeks that you take off whenever you pick them. Like that's when your summer right. fun is like right. in that two week block. It's not associated to a time or a month or a date. Um, and so I feel like I've said this to you. I just feel like there's a lot of tabs open in my mind. Like there's too many tabs, like, and I'm not closing them at the speed that I want to close them at. And it's causing a lot of angst. It's causing a lot of frustration. Um, and then things kind of pile up. Um, and you notice that like, you know, sometimes you take those frustrations and things that you're not actually frustrated about, but you know, are changing, start to feel like they're frustrating. Like, mm-hmm. for example, you might be frustrated by your job. My roommates now come back from Calgary. He's moving back into the spot. I've had the space to myself for like three months. I'm not bothered. I love my roommate and he's coming in, but it's just the environment has made it feel like it's more of a frustrating feeling than it actually is. It's like, I like this guy. I just forgot that I like this guy because he's been gone for three months and I've liked myself more than I've liked him. And so now I'm going from my own space to sharing it with somebody. And you have to like, remember Mm -hmm. again, like how that looked and how those routines looked and uh, you know, what you loved about that partnership in the first place. And it takes a little bit of time to learn those things. So you might be sitting in frustration, but it's just more of a, a a period of silence until you can have the realization of what it was and what it is. And once all mm-hmm. those things start to settle in, the frustration will die out. But uh, and at any time, I think you know what you speak to is you're definitely trying to make sure it doesn't sound like you don't like your roommate. And I don't think anyone really hates their roommate, but just having a roommate in and of itself is like ten times the work of then living on your own. Like it's not even just like, oh, like, no, they're great people. It's like, yeah, they're great people, but there's energy that's involved, even with partnership, right? Mm-hmm. It, we love our partners, but we live with them and it takes effort and it takes energy and it takes a constant, like it takes so much more than living on your own. 
And that's not to say don't do it. It's just what you're pointing out right here is like, it does take a lot more mental effort and resiliency and awareness of yourself. Like there's so much more involved, right? Mm -hmm. So it, ta it takes a lot. So it, it, that in that space, it's like, oh, I got to go back to that. Damn it. That's tough. That's tough. And it, it's like remembering that energy that you have to expense in order to manage that space and, and figure it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you, uh, I love how you kind of tied that all together and and tapping back into like maybe qualities that you haven't been using all the time, like you know mm -hmm. thoughtfulness and empatheticness and like all these things in your space, right? Like it's it's now it's you know if someone is if the laundry is in the washer, can you flip it for them and put it in the in the dryer? You're thinking about different things now. It's like you're coming home and you're like, how can I make this environment the most comfortable for me and the person who lives here? You know, mm -hmm. not just. If, if you're someone who's like, I'm okay with that dish being the dish for four days, but you right. know, your roommate's going to be bothered by that. You might change how you uh, approach that situation now. Like I'll just clean it now. Cause I don't want to bother the person. They might also need to use this pot. So like, you know, I'll wash it, make sure it's clean so that they could use it. That's just mm -hmm. an extra mental step now that you're thinking about in addition to all these other mental steps that you're thinking about, but it's not a good or a bad thing. It's a, it's a, it's a change and it just can feel frustrating at the time. You know, um, I always like to use, you know, we both love to use physical references and it's like, to me, it's like going back to the gym after you haven't gone and been in the gym for a long time. It's just, it's just a little bit more difficult. Not that you can't do it. It's just, you haven't been doing it. So it's like, mm -hmm. Oh, I haven't used that muscle in a while. Oh, I have it. It's there. It's on my body, but I haven't used that muscle in a while. So it's like, let's get back to, you know, getting and moving and grooving and finding that rhythm again and finding that, um, that pump. And then once you kind of get that, I feel like you're like, okay, cool. Um, I'm moving in the right direction, but other than that, yeah, I'm happy with kind of, you just, you know, where everything is and stuff like that. Hopefully I can close some more of these tabs. Um, but the biggest realization has been just that childhood thing, you know, like mm. that expectation that we put on certain seasons, certain times. And like, I tried to, I was trying to tell you like, my job isn't a nine to five, you know, and it took a long time for me to understand that. Like you just work and then you find times to take breaks and that mentally is hard. And unpackaging certain things is, is difficult, especially when a world is still glued to that. Like the world still thinks summer is about fun. Right. So when, like, or society or even my mm -hmm. friend group. So it's like, I'm trying to uncondition myself from something that I still think might be true. And proof of concept is still true too. It's like, everyone else also thinks summer is fun. Right. So I'm trying to change something about me that is like, what? Is it really a change? Like, it's still true in the world, technically. Like, right. you know, there's still a lot of people who use summer as a fun time. And they, they talk to you like that. It's like, yo, what are you doing this summer? Like, what are your big summer plans? And I'm like, working. Like, uh, like, I don't have any big summer plans. Like, am I supposed to be making big summer plans? Like, you know, so mm. it's, it's just all in this idea of redefining what life means for yourself, you know, like really like get control of that pen again and write a, write a new story. Don't, don't write society's story, write yours. You know, and, mm -hmm. um, I think I'm just, you know, having another realization of that kind of that period right now. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that. It, it's, it's so fascinating. I was reflecting the other day. I think it might've been yesterday with my partner, just about the cycle that we've been built to live by. And one of her nieces is going to into first grade and her schedule now is 9am school start and done at, you know, 3.30 or 3.35, whatever the school timeframe is. And it's, it's wild to think about how early we are taught and forced to adopt a specific structure grade one, 
right? Or even before that, because if you think about how like parents work, they're working in the nine to five. So then they have to have the child in daycare or day, day, whatever for, or day camps for that long. Right. So then automatically that child's already getting used to this nine to five routine. Then you put them in school and you give them the more nine to three, nine to four routine, but maybe they have to go to after school care. So it's still nine to five until the parents can pick them up. And then that continues all the way through junior high, through high school. And then when you get out, it's like, well, why would I do anything differently? Why wouldn't I go get a nine to five? Why wouldn't I fall into that structure? Because that's all is not how everyone does it. And the parents can't alter that because they're on a nine to five. Cause that's what their parents, like the, the generational cycle of that specific structure is wild. And the seasons play that same game. It's the nine to five plays out and then school's out. And now hold on a second. The nine to five is a little more discombobulated because my child can't go to school anymore. So what does that look like? So now things start to change and they're like, oh, okay, we can do more things. Like we can hang out more. I have to spend more time with my child because my child's more available. And then that plays out until fall, like you said. And then the pressure kicks back in school, nine to five daycare all day, sir, like all that kind of stuff. And it's fascinating because then what that leads into is the ideas of like seasonal depression, right? Falling into fall, falling into winter and feeling the effects of that because there's pressure building from September, September builds, October builds, November builds. And then now you can't really go for a walk because it's too cold, at least in, in, in Canada. Right. So now you can't really take care of that part of your mental health. So then that you don't finding other ways you're relying on the weather to be that specific source of energy for you. Mm-hmm. And then it just, this, this cycle, right. Like, like I can speak about it forever, but it was just fascinating that you spoke about it. Cause yeah, summer is a beautiful space and you want to take advantage of the weather. But I wonder what is it like when you live in places like LA when winter doesn't really hit mm-hmm. it's summer all the time. What does that mean? Do you still have those bouts or do you find different ways? Is your environment playing a, diff, um, a bigger impact than you think? which it is, but it's about recognizing that. And I just found it super fascinating because like you said, you're not a nine to five. You you work when you work and you find the pockets. And I believe that to be more of a truer idea of how to spend your time because you're very much in, in control of that. Yes, you have general times you need to work, but at least you have this idea of like, okay, I can take a break right here, or I should take a break, or I want to take a break. I want to separate for a moment. Like those are the opportunity to do so rather than being like your boss saying, no, no break until 1230 this afternoon, then you can take lunch. Then you have to leave at five because I'm not paying you anymore. Mm-hmm. Like just that cycle, right? It's so different. It's, it's just crazy to me, <clears throat> the indoctrination of it all. And like you said, you're just trying to work yourself out of that, um, which is tough. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we can hop into the conversation right away, <clears throat> but just one, one thing to kind of finish that whole thing off is just, it also just sheds light on the idea that is it your external world that makes you happy or your internal world? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, are we so, so connected to the weather, so connected to like what the environment is giving us, or are we just trying to create an internal happiness? You know, like how can I disconnect myself as much as possible to find the inner, whatever is, makes me good inside and less on it's raining today. It's sunny today, but it's supposed to be summer. It's supposed to be this, you know, it's, uh, mm-hmm. I think that to, to what is happening to me is I'm getting disconnected from that and living my life through my actions, like less about what's going on. And the pandemic was a great example of that, right? It's like, it said, Hey, we're not giving you nothing. <laughs> you need to figure this out internally. Like we're giving you zero, um, and so I think that that is just, a, it's a great place to be in, in terms of kind of, you know, personally for me, I'm learning how to 
create financial stability without a structure. I'm learning how to find internal happiness without environment, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like, I'm really finding that independence within who I am as a person. And I really enjoy that, but it's very challenging. It's very, very challenging because I know I'm wired to structure. I know I'm wired in um, routines and processes and things like that. And so I'm navigating two very difficult experiences right now, which is, you know, how can you continue to put food on the table and continue to serve in, a, in an unconventional way while also trying to find, you know, happiness and all of those things without leveraging environmental circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just a tough, it's just a tough challenge. Uh, mm-hmm. and I'm not perfect at it. Uh, and so there's days that are great and there's days that are horrible. Um, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's a tough journey for sure. Breaking those cycles. Um, but I'm grateful that you're doing that work. And I think a lot of people listening are feeling that same way is just the, the recognition that you're just on the journey of doing some of that work and breaking down some of those routines and, and conditioning. And it reminds me of a quote that says, uh, how did it go? It says things are neither good or bad, but thinking that makes it so. Mm. And while that can sound like it's negating the the challenges of it, it's not necessarily doing so. It's just uh, in this moment, in this in these frames of reference, it's you know the the event is just itself. The event is just what it is. The event is happening, whether you have control of it or not. It's happening, um, and no one's necessarily classifying it as good or bad until we think of it as good or bad mm-hmm. and how we feel like it's serving us in this moment. So it just reminded me of that quote. And I think that was a beautiful share. And it's not something that I would say I necessarily live by that well, because that is a hard process to navigate. Like, what do you mean this situation is bad? Like, explain that to me. How does that make any sense? I have to now cover my face with a mask. Tell me that's not a bad situation. Um, and while it can be a challenge, it's like, okay, yes, it's not f- enjoyable necessarily, but does it make it like a bad decision? Does it, w- w- where's my frame of reference? Where's my perspective at? Where's my mindset at? It's an interesting conversation for uh, obviously another day, but yeah, that's the quote that it came to me. All right. So to get into today's conversation, we mentioned earlier, we're going to have a conversation about integrity. Now, I'm sure you all heard of this word. This word is not unknown. It's a very common word. We all hear about it. I remember hearing about it when I was young, just the idea of being true to your word. That's what I was always told. Just be true to your word. Don't ever break your word. Your word is your bond. So much about your word, right? Like what you speak out into the world, hold yourself accountable to that. That was such a big piece of, of my upbringing, not even to just really like my family setting, but also my school setting. You know, it was this idea, just like, don't lie, be honest, you know, don't ever say something and that you're going to do and don't do it. Don't ever have those situations. And I adopted the heck out of that because someone who um, has always valued his values, that's what I'm going to ask, I'm going to phrase that, who's <laughs> always valued his values, who's always felt like he has required to have a high morality. So I've always felt because I felt that way, I feel like integrity was just just there. It had to be there, right? And then uh, I got into a partnership and that was something that was complimented. It's like, I, you, I, one thing I love about you is your integrity. And I was like, perfect, perfect. I'm doing this values and moralities thing right. Yes, score one for Kyle, right? And then I remember so many moments in my life where I have broken that 
and actually felt like I would, would, I could die because I held that in such high context. I was just like, well, you didn't, you couldn't do it. You didn't do it. Integrity is fascinating. And I know you have your own, your own experience, but it's, so I'm going to, I'm going to ask you in a moment, but for those that don't know integrity specifically, if you Google it, okay. The fascinating part of integrity is there's two definitions and we choose which one to use the first one. This is numbered appropriately. It says number one and number two, number one, the quality of being honest and having strong moral principles or moral uprightness. So the sentence they gave is he is known to be a man of integrity. A little bit of a patriarchy there. It doesn't, doesn't say they are known. It says man. Uh, and then the second one, which I think for me, I never really looked at because it was always confusing, which we'll talk about today. The second definition says the state of being whole and undivided. So these definitions are, I feel like are definitely separate for a purpose, right? Now, integrity, it has been a journey for you as well. It's been a journey for me. And I feel like we're kind of aligned in that sense, but I'd love uh, for you to share, I guess, what integrity means to you. And maybe if it's changed, because I know for me, oh, my sweet bliss, it's changed. It's definitely taken on a whole different level in this current experience I'm in today, but it has not always been that way. So how's it, how has it evolved for you and where do you feel like it's at now from where it has been? Yeah, I want to I first go back to the definitions that you said, because mm. I think when we first started the conversation, we said, hey, integrity is something that I think you guys all know about, right? But I actually would argue how many people know that there was two definitions and how many mm. of them know that there is that second part, right? Because I think the evolution of this, this word is going from just being a good person, good character, you know, having good character in difficult situations mm -hmm. to understanding that it's the, the, it's the whole part that's actually important, the undivided part, the, you know, when you set a moral compass, how connected are you to that moral compass that you've set for yourself, you know, and how aligned are you? I think that that's the evolution of the definition. And when you ask me kind of how, how has it changed is the, the beginning of it as being a kid was just do the right thing, you know, be, mm. be, be a good person, do the right thing. Even when it's difficult sometimes to admit that you are wrong and it started in the household. Right thing too. Right. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Like don't interrupt you, but I just thought of that. That was so powerful. Do the right thing physical air quotes, do the right thing. Sorry, continue. I just need to, people need to hear that louder. What's the right thing? Exactly. Right. So then you, you're always trying to navigate as you get older. You're like, what is the right thing? I know I got to do the right thing, but what is the right thing? And who's guiding you in that right thing as well? Right. Like it's sometimes you might be, be thinking you're doing the right thing, but because you don't have your own moral compass, you're just doing the right thing based on the, whoever is telling you what the right thing is, you know, mm. and, um, you know, an example of that when I was younger too, is, is religion, you know, like it's the religion was the right thing, but it's like, I didn't have a moral compass to it personally. I didn't have a, I didn't have my own values or my own beliefs. So it's like, yes, it's the right thing. The right thing to do is my parents said, do this, pray, do all these things. And so the right thing is, is to be in those positions and do those actions but I'm out of complete alignment. And so the original definition of integrity for me is like, yes, I was right. I was being good. I was being religious. I was listening to my parents. I was doing the right thing. But the second definition falls apart in, the, in, this, in this example because I'm not aligned. I don't have any belief. I don't have any values. And like, I'm not whole, like in this mm -hmm. experience of doing the right thing, you know? So it, that childhood experience for me was like a complete 
separation of these two things, like this definition of integrity. In my parents' eyes, I was a very, very, you know, good kid doing the right thing, good character, all of those things. But by the second definition of integrity, I was not aligned, you know, like I was not whole, like I was just going with the actions. I was just doing what other people told me to do. And I was trying to be the good kid. I was trying to do things by the right. So when you ask me, you know, Anwar, what has changed for you in integrity is I put a lot more value on that second definition of uh, of integrity now. And that puts a lot of pressure on me because I have to define what I think is right for me. You know, I got to define my values. I got to, I got to define what, um, you know, unity means in terms of, you know, my moral compass, my, my moral principles, um, my beliefs about myself in this world and, and holding myself true to that. You know, I think naturally through my upbringing, I really always understood honesty, being a good character and doing things. And, mm-hmm. and you know, I really understood those. My parents really raised me with great foundational principles of that. Even when, you know, my mom would like be a tyrant and was like, you know, getting us in trouble. Her always, her always end message was, you know, just tell me the truth. Mm-hmm. Like that was always her end message. Like her own message was, Hey, listen, I know you're going to break things and I'm going to act a certain way too. When you, I'm going to be mad. I'm going to yell at you. I'm going to ground you. But when she got into her calm state, like after the event was over, her always, her message at the end was always just don't lie to me. Don't lie to me. Tell me the truth. You know? And what I think my mom missed at those moments was it's hard to tell someone who you're scared of the truth. <laughs> I, think that was, I think that was the big message that my mom missed was like, yeah, I hear you, but I don't feel you, fam. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, don't, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Like telling you the truth is like, I feel like we're going to go into World War Three every time I tell you the truth. So, you know, I might have chosen times to pick a lie or whatever, but she was very good, too. She was smart. Sometimes she would like not punish the kid that told the truth, even though they were the biggest mess in the situation. Right. She would that kid to show the value of telling the truth and then, you know, dismantle the rest of us um, mm. who had less to do with the situation, but were chose, we chose a lie. Um, mm-hmm. So she was very strategic about how she told her stuff. I just think the fear of her overpowered our ability to tell her the truth. But deep down, you knew telling the truth and being a good person was the utmost thing that my mom cared about. And I knew that as a child and I knew that in religion. And I knew that about a lot of areas in my life is just like being a good person. Now I think where integrity is challenged is it's hard to be a good person in a difficult situation, especially when you think that you're what you are trying to benefit from the situation might be at risk. Mm -hmm. That's when I think integrity really is like tested. You have an example of that? Because I feel like there's more to pull out there. I'll give you a sales example. You're, you're, you're doing a transaction in deals. The benefit is that, you know, if you close this deal, you are going to see a financial reward. But you have to fall out of alignment to get that done. Mm-hmm. Being a good person in that moment is very difficult because a benefit for you is at stake, you know? Mm-hmm integrity and a benefit for you is at stake Mm, Um, not being a good person being a whole person being uh well just having having the i would say the original definition of integrity you know honesty good character right trustworthy you know if you you're honest and you're a good character and you're trustworthy and you know like being being whole is definitely going to fall apart regardless you know like like these two definitions are all they they run together they don't run separately you know Mm -hmm. You can't be whole and undivided and be not honest and not a good character and not trustworthy. You know, it's almost like that first definition is there to hold a space for you now to hold everything else against it. You know, Mm. it's like this is this is where this is the definition of it. But the the actual practice of integrity is how can you hold this together and be aligned with yourself? Mm. Um, 
so that's kind of how it, you know, I kind of came into it and what I feel about it now and how it's changed for me. Mm -hmm. um, Something that came up when you were talking, I was just, I had to pull up my notebook because I'm like, this guy is, is saying a lot of things and I love it. There were so many good points, but I think what is a beautiful awareness piece for everyone, including myself, is when you started to talk about uh, the parental upbringing and I think what you made aware to myself and to a lot of people is that the compass, the, the integral compass, the integrous compass of good or bad is so heavily dominated by our parents. They are our guiding light, right? And as we grow up and navigate, the, what I took from that is as we become adults, our good and bad compass is still dominantly controlled by what they said and what they said is good or bad. So we live in this state for like, you know, 18, 20 years, 21 years with this, this compass that they're giving us. And we rebel sometimes, obviously, and we, you know, we fight it, but we're like, well, they're all, ultimately they're our parents. So of course they must be right. And we live along that compass. And I think what that says is not necessarily that they were wrong in doing so and that they did a bad job, but how far do we reach as children to ensure that they're happy in those moments to not break that moral compass? And then how often do we self-abandon? to do so when maybe our truth was different, but we couldn't do so anything about it because it wasn't their moral compass. So we hid our own truth from that. Mm -hmm. And over you know years of our lifetime, how often we do that until we get to this point where we're like, we don't even know who we are, right? The idea of identity crisis, I feel like is less about, oh, I was working this job for this long. And, you know, I felt I lost myself, but it was the, uh, the fact that we haven't known who we are at all ever because there's always been this compass, this guideline that's been given to us that we haven't been able to deter from because that was the right way, air quotes, right? The right way. And that narrative, I feel like is just landing more deeply for me in this moment, which is why I wanted to express it and bring it to the concept because it's such a huge part about this conversation is integrity, being whole, being undivided. And in that specific example, that expression, it says, well, I've always been divided. There's one half that says this is the right way and the wrong way and parents and whatever. And then there's also what contradicts that, which is society sometimes where our parents disagree with society or they don't like what's happening. There's another divide. Then there is the extended families divide. And then there's our friends divide. And then I don't even know if there's a divide that includes us because we're not listening to ourselves, right? Because why would we listen to ourselves when there's all these other voices that seem to be right? So we're constantly divided. So this idea of getting back to wholeness and undivided just seems like a daunting task. Is like, why would I bother? Like I have all of these answers. All of these people have all this stuff for me. So what do you mean they're wrong? Or maybe they're not wrong, but what do you mean? Like I have conscious choice to do something different or think of good and bad as different. How does this make sense to me? So how do I even get there? And that's for me why I never really paid attention to number two on this definition list because number one just made it easy be honest have strong moral principles and moral moral uprightness just just be a person of integrity just do that and then you read i even just today reading the second one i'm like i didn't even know that was there mm. like i didn't because i only learned that concept a few months ago if that this i this idea of integrity being being whole and undivided i didn't know that i didn't pay attention i just thought be honest be trustworthy do what is considered to be the right thing. And what you just said is who says it's the right thing. 
whose, whose narrative are you living out of in that moment? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times I don't know. And what it really reminds me of too, is like at work, right? At work, uh, I noticed that I feel this sense of moral uprightness when I'm doing the right thing, but isn't it fascinating how quickly that turns into I'm better than other people. Mm-hmm. And is I'm better than other people, a state of being whole and undivided. Or are you saying when I'm better than someone you're dividing and are you dividing yourself in the process? It's interesting. It was just came to my mind. It's just the realization that sometimes I do get into this moral uprightness, but that moral uprightness, high integrity can lead to, well, I must be better than other people. So in, like anything on the spectrum, integrity can also be taken to the space where like it, it becomes unhealthy. Can you give me like, an, like what would be an example of that? Of the moral uprightness, an example of like hierarchical? You know, an example of like when you feel like, you know, doing the right thing puts you in a, in a, in a higher class. And then, you know, mm. you feel, what would be an example of that to, to, mm. put, to, to put? Yep. Let's do this. This is hilarious. I just had a conversation the other day. So one thing I've never tried in my life is weed. Okay. I've never smoked weed before. And I also rarely drink. And I, before recently, I've never really done anything that has been outside of the societal structure of the right thing to do. So this is a great conversation. And my partner and I were headed out to cabin and we were thinking about how to enjoy the time and process. And I've expressed on here before, like I've started microdose mushrooms a bit, which is really out of my realm. And then she brought up the idea of conversation of ha ha moment. We should get a blunt and smoke weed out there. And I instantly felt a visceral reaction in my body. Like hell no. I don't want to do that because I've never done it. And because there's a lot there for me, there's a lot of like deep, deep sense, which I will explain. So we went on and we didn't end up getting it. We went to our trip and we got out there and we joked about when we were out there, oh, it would have been great to have this out here and just hang out, whatever. But still, I was like, no, like I felt my body saying no, at least I thought it was my body. And then we got home and we were having a conversation about it. And if, if you know the deeper sense of what the feminine is, is, is holding there, then you'll be able to take this. And if not, you'll be like, oh, she's attacking me. But what she said was um, you think of it in the sense of you don't do it, which makes you better than other people. And I was triggered because don't ever say that to me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Don't tell me that that doesn't make, like, I don't want that idea. But then instead of attacking it, I sat on the couch in silence uh, and just processed and I thought, that, why would she say that? Why would she say that I feel like I'm better than other people? And I started to process it. And I think what ended up happening was, as I grew up, anybody who ever smoked weed, in my perspective, which was not correct, but in my perspective, this is going to sound bad, wasn't going anywhere. They weren't doing big things with their life. And therefore, those people were the ones who were smoking weed. Okay. Now, whether that was true or not is unbeknown to me. That's just how I saw it. And that also adds into what society saw marijuana as in that time frame was illegal, bad, kills brain cells, I think is some of the phrasing that they used, mm-hmm. which is hilariously contradicting now, but that's how I saw it. So I never wanted to do it. I said, no, that doesn't make sense in the moral uprightness. Therefore, I won't do it. So when people would say, hey, do you want to smoke weed? I would say no. I don't smoke weed. And in that moment, I would feel better then. 
because I'm not doing what is societally says is a bad thing. Mm-hmm. So I'd feel better then. And then in the moment too, even just sitting in this space of not doing it, there's a, there's a level that I feel unconsciously sometimes mostly unconscious where it says I must be better than other people. Cause I don't do these things, which is absurd, but that's how it feels. Now, thinking about what I believe to be the truth of that is that all that was that moral uprightness was doing for me was leading by somebody else's compass. I never gave myself the opportunity to think, Hmm, maybe I could do that. Or, you know, I wonder what that's like, or maybe I should try that. That would, that would have been my truth is the curiosity, but the curiosity didn't exist because someone else told me you should be curious about it. Mm-hmm. specifically the grander scope of society. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then, and then it becomes legal. Then what? And now, right. And now all of a sudden, hilariously enough, now all of a sudden my integrity takes a different step. Right. And it says, Oh, Oh, okay. Well, maybe I'll try it now because all of a sudden it's like that truth was given to me in a different way on a societal mm-hmm. structure. So now again, it's a deeper example of, what is my truth? What is my wholeness and undividedness? Because in that moment, I'm just following in the trail of all of the other ponies mm-hmm. and all of the other sheep. I'm just a sheep. I'm literally a sheep. And I'm just waiting to, for them to open the gate to be like, okay, it's good now. The side of the grass is great for you now. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I'm never venturing. And it's so fascinating to me. So it's just an interesting conversation. And uh, where I know that comes from on a different context is when I was growing up, uh, my mother had me when she was 15, right? And so in that context, there's something there that I don't really know about yet that I'm waiting to get answers from, let's say. But what I recognize is that I always wanted to be the best person possible to never be a burden because I always took on the guilt for being born when I was born. I thought it was my fault that I was born, which I've shared. So what that leads into is, okay, find the easiest way to be the best person that you can be so that no one thinks you're a bad one and therefore you're never a burden. Always do the right thing. Always be honest. Always be the best damn person you can be so that no one looks at you and says, "Mm, they're a pain in my ass. They are tough to handle. They are tough to deal with. They always cause like anything, anything outside of the scope of that would have been considered a burden. So I never wanted to venture there. But we know what that leads to. We So many different ideas of what I live by now, what I've been trying to work against is being the nice guy. That's the huge one, being the nice guy, which is never really actually appropriate. It's about being respectful and compassionate while also standing in your truth. But I never knew what that was. So I just gave myself away. And it also leads to emotional suppression because if I share my emotion, like you said earlier, if I share my truth, I'll cause conflict. Therefore I'll be a burden and therefore it won't work. So I'll self-sacrifice, self-abandon, and it'll be over. So it's this deeper layer, right? It's not just the societal level of giving me the answers. It's also coming from what I said earlier, the parents control the good, bad narrative. That was my state of being. Mm-hmm. It makes sure you're good. So your family doesn't see you as a burden because you were already born in the worst time quote quote possible so don't add to that don't add to that my friends let's talk about mental health and the sponsor of this podcast this episode is sponsored by tether a peer-enabled mental health and well-being platform for men 
Tether helps men find meaning and purpose through community, accountability pods, and a 24-7 support network. Tether invites us all to be a part of changing the face of masculinity and letting every man know that struggling and vulnerability doesn't make you any less of a man. It simply makes you human. And for me, I've had a lot of personal experience with this app. I've used it many times. I've shared a lot of vulnerable moments. I've shared some strength moments, some exciting moments. The app is open for everyone to simply just share. And like I said in the introduction, a peer-enabled space where we're supporting each other without any pressure to fix, just simply to honor each other's journey. They also just added in a conscious content section where they're sharing podcasts they're sharing blog posts it is a really powerful space so we really want to implore you and encourage you to download it from the app and google store it is tether t-e-t-h-r available on both app stores join the community i promise you will not regret it one thing that i really loved about kind of your share there too is it highlights and it it highlights the importance of curiosity and and questions, mm-hmm. right? Like if an entire country can change its mind on weed, like like it was so black and white as kids, good, bad, like it was as you mm-hmm. described as you described it, it was like we all took that moral compass and like took it to the 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 umph degree, like that was our definition of it. Is like, dude, it's illegal, it's bad, all these things. Fast forward, the whole country changed their mind. So like, who sets up the structure? If you're not a curious individual and you don't ask the right questions, even even countries can change their mind on how they feel about something, you know? And so if we just take what people give us the right thing about doing something, that's why I think the, the second definition of this is a lot more real because it's, it's, it's your internal wholeness that matters. Mm-hmm. Not the, the above one. The above one could be good for anybody. Like there's things that society thinks is good. There's things that, you know, religion thinks is good. There's things that like, there's, uh, there's, they're not all aligned. Like good in many of these camps, what good to means to your parents might be different to what good means to your parents or your, sorry, your teachers, which might be different to what your partner thinks is good. We might be different to, so good and honesty, all those things, they're kind of irrelevant, but they, they, they matter because yes, you want to be good, but to you, like to you. Like mm. internally, you know, what is the good character to what you align with? Because the confusion comes from trying to find that good character in all these areas that aren't aligned. They're not all aligned. So like just a good character in the world doesn't work. Like I'm going to be good to what society wants me to be. Then you're good to sh- you're a sheep. Like, mm-hmm. and it's harder to, because then you're going to, like if we were going to take this weed example way too far, that would be like, I'm a sheep. And they're like, everyone over here. And you're just going and running. And then they're like, no, 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 everyone over here now. It's like, how confusing is that? Find what it means for you. Like, then you could be, if they go over here, you're like, no, this feels aligned for me right here. I'm not moving. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not, I'm not just going to run around because you guys don't even know what you want. Like one day you're going to say this way. The next day you're saying go this way. It's way easier to find me and be more aligned with me. Because then if, right. I, if someone says go left, I'm like, no, I'm good here. Someone says, go right. You're like, no, I'm good here. And what it actually does is it, it makes you have the, that second layer of like, when someone says go left or go right, ask why. Get curious. Mm-hmm. And then whatever their answer is, use that as, you know, your way to be like, am I in line with that or am I not? Mm-hmm. 
And then you can go left if you want, you can go right if you want, or you can stay put. But the fact that we don't have that internal feeling for ourselves, the fact that we haven't invested enough time in the second layer of this definition, it just shows that like too many of us have been in the first frame of this, be good and be good can mean too many things. Mm-hmm. Like, cause who's defining what good is. Exactly. And I, I need to take that sheep analogy farther. I need to, I, it's coming to me two parts. One, it's interesting that we use the concept of black sheep, right? The black sheep is the one that stands out is separate is, is, but is very, uh, wrong. They're wrong. They're off-putting. When I mean, there's movies about this, right? The ugly duckling, the one that stands out. But we don't ever say that those positions are good. We don't say the the good-looking duckling. We don't say that. We see the ugly duckling. We see the black sheep. Because we need to see in society being whole and complete as you are as a bad thing. Because if you're whole and complete, you don't need anything. You don't need to buy things. You don't need to go seeking um, external validation. You don't need to go, you, you know, you, you don't need to do anything that they're giving you. With that really on the end of the day falls into capitalism. You don't need those things. So if you're whole and complete, you don't need to go there. So to ensure that they give you examples in children movies, like the ugly duckling, the black sheep, anything that is whole and complete. Sure. It's a beautiful story, but you already know they're calling that duck ugly. So you don't see it in a positive light to add layers to being a sheep in the flock of sheep. Who controls the sheep? Well, the dogs do the sheep dogs specifically named sheep dogs. So those dogs are controlled, right? By somebody who's giving them a narrative of which direction to go to. Fall in even higher into the farmer, the sheep farmer, right? Who again is a sheep farmer has says the dogs need to be trained to move them in this direction. So there's another morality level, right? You got the sheep morality, you got the sheep dog morality, and then you got the, the farmer morality, but that is not where it stops. You also have the sheep farmer's husband or wife. What is their morality? Where do they think the sheep should go left or right? That's another layer of good and bad or right direction, wrong direction. But then who controls them? Who's who's telling them that the sheep have to go in that specific way? Who's taught them that? Uh, Well, maybe their grandparents, their lineage, or maybe there's a specific way you're supposed to quote, quote, farm sheep in a specific way they're supposed to go good or bad. If you do it the other way, it's the wrong way. So how many layers of good and bad are being invested into you in this current experience? And how many layers does that add to the divide of who you are? How many ways do you have to ask yourself who is right and who is wrong before you start to just ask yourself, do I think this is right? Do I think this is wrong? What does my body say? What does my heart say? Because your mind will be working off of lineage-based truths not present day truths. That's deep. That's very, very deep. And I mean, you, you also bring up this, you know, what we had a conversation with um, our guest, you know, Andy about is this, this, this kind of three layer of integrity, you know, what mm-hmm. your mind, your heart um, and your body, you know, and, and, and finding where we keep talking about this wholeness and, you know, this undivided, this internal unity, but what does that actually mean? Like internal right. unity is, you know, I think Andy did a great job of touching on that is when your mind, your heart and your body are in alignment, that's what that whole undivided internal unity feels like. And that's where, when you're moving through that space 
you know, to add to another thing that we was birthed in that conversation that I really loved is you're, you're leveraging clean energy. Mm. You know, when those three areas are unified, they're united and, you know, they, you have that internal unity, your, your, your output is very clean. You got clean energy. You're running on good morals, your morals, you know, things that you've instilled in yourself, good principles. And then now when you're saying you have honesty, you're good, you have good character, you're trustworthy, you're trustworthy, you make the right decision in difficult times. It's, it's through that, that three, like that three layer approach of, you know, your mind, your body, and your heart are in alignment, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I was listening to a podcast with, uh, with Martha Beck, who's the author of The Way of Integrity, and she uses a great example uh, of, that she talks about an airplane. You know, she says, you know, when a plane is structurally integral um, or has, structurally has integrity, all its parts are working together and it can fly, you know? But if it doesn't, then you might have difficulty taking flight, you're at more risk, you're, you know, and so she uses this beautiful example of an airplane of being like, you know, um, when it's structurally integrity, when it has structural integrity, it's all of its parts are working together. And I think for us to find flight, for us as human beings to be able to soar, you know, understanding what parts make up our airplane are important, you know, and having it all work together is going to give us the best chance at flying. Not that it's all going to be catastrophic. There could be malfunctions that can be fixed and mended. You can get up, you can go down. doesn't mean that every plane going up, if it's not all intact, is definitely coming down. It just means that there might be some struggle. You might have to, the pilot might have to maneuver a couple of different tricks to get the plane down. But your best chance at flying is to have everything working well. Everything working together. Um, and everything checks out. Mm-hmm. Then you know for sure you're flying, it's going to be safe, and you're going to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you fly without every piece working together, you run the risk of falling. Um, you, run, you run a higher risk of things going wrong. Um, and I mm-hmm. think that that was a beautiful example by, you know, Martha Beck. And uh, if those of you want to listen to the rest of that conversation, it's a, it's a podcast on Oprah's um, Super Soul. Uh, and she does a great job of, uh, you know, unpackaging the second definition of this integrity that we're talking about. Um, yeah, and what, really an example. You, and you, yeah, and you, universal timing too. Uh, that conversation that you were just uh, talking about with Martha Beck, that book is in my house right now. I haven't read it personally, but my partner is right now, like mm. probably in the other room right now. She's actually reading that book. Incredible. And yeah, exactly right. And she, she, she's the one who Martha Beck uh, introduced me to this com- conversation around integrity through a audio version of her book when I was coming back to Calgary which I find actually super fascinating now to reflect on is that that's when I chose to download that book and listen to it a bit. And I remember feeling some resistance to it in the moment. I wasn't really in it, but the idea too is, is who in this airplane analogy, right. In regards to integrity, um, you were a, a fully operational, pretty much plane when you came into this world and how many people gave you pieces that didn't really fit, but kind of seemed like they fit. They just, they, in, in your, in your airplane, that made it seem as if that's what would make you fly when really, truly you could fly already, but sometimes the, now they're adding almost, you know, they're adding suitcases, mm-hmm. they're adding, they're add, they've added weight. Like, oh, look, you have the space. Let me add this into your space. Let me add this, you know, 50 pound suitcase to your airplane mm-hmm. over and over and over again until the plane can't really fly. So you have to start unloading some of these beliefs that they've been giving you. Cause that's what the suitcases are beliefs about yourself. 
Mm-hmm. You start unloading these suitcases, unloading these pieces and placing your own, if that's what you choose to do. Um, but I love the idea of structural integrity, right? And I honestly, like the fact that you brought that up is huge because this morning, my partner and I were having a pre-conversation to this conversation. And it's the idea of when construction workers are working on a house or you're trying to do something in your house, their question says, if we knock down this pillar, will it affect the structural integrity of the house? Mm-hmm. Right. But it's so fascinating how we use that whole and undivided concept in ways of like physical things, but never ourselves Mm -hmm. that we know that if we knock down that wall, the integrity quote, quote of the building may deter, may fall. So in order to keep the building whole and complete, we need to keep that pole there. So what about our own, That, that pole is like the foundation, right? It's the, it's the root of who we are. And we need to start asking the question. I know for me, this has been one of the harder questions is like, we've said this in the last podcast, what is my truth? What is that pillar of truth? What is that specific wall of truth? What is that for me? And if I knock that down, will it affect the structural integrity of me as a person? And a lot of times I think we're looking at pillars as if they are a necessary component, as if they are there um, to hold up the building. But what if there was one next to it? We didn't see, cause it was hidden and we just knocked down the other one and everything was good. Mm-hmm. What if that pillar wasn't ours? What if someone else created that house for us? And that's, that's some of the deeper questions to ask in regards to integrity and being whole and complete. One thing I do struggle with though, and, and maybe you, we can speak on this now is, um, this idea of being whole and undivided. How do we even do that? How do we how do we stay in alignment with our our wholeness and undividedness? How do you feel that we do that? Because this that I think that's the question of all questions. Now that we've you know we've we've broken down integrity in multiple different ways: heart, mind, body, being structurally integral, being whole and undivided. The question of all questions is: Okay, well, what now? How do we even do that? So for you in, in your life and your perspective, how have you managed to navigate that? And do you feel like you always do that? Hmm. I think, I think to me, integrity is not, sometimes we, we, we hold this idea that I'm changing every single day, right? So this whole, this, this, this internal unity that we're talking about is ever evolving. You know, it's, and there's always these kind of breaks and pauses of trying to figure out like, okay, cool, I'm, I'm, I'm changing. Therefore, now I have a new moral compass. Now I have to go through a period of time where maybe it doesn't resonate with me or how am I, how am I overcoming that, that, that challenge of, you know, finding that alignment and being like, okay, cool. This, I, I feel like integrity is something that you have and you either, you, you either have it and you practice it or you have it and you don't practice it. Um, I think we all have integrity. Mm-hmm but it's just a practice, right? It's more of an output. Um, and the sad part about it is that most times we don't get recognized for having integrity because it's mm. not, it takes a long time to get recognized for integrity. It's not a, it's not one of those boxes that is very, like you don't see that on a resume. Integrity is, it takes, it takes time for you to even be able to tell that I have integrity. And so because it's not something that's recognized and we're in a world of, you know, quick recognition, wanting attention, it's not the best marker for getting attention. And so we fall out of it so quickly because it's not recognized by mm-hmm. most people. You know, it's not recognized and our ability to, um, you know, it's mainly on the inside, right? It's hard to detect 
for other people. So, so it's hard for you to know that I have integrity. It's mainly on the inside. So it's an internal battle with like something that you're doing on your own. And only public could get tested like visibly there a low percentage of the time where you can actually flex that muscle and be like, yeah, see, I told you I was integrity. Like I had integrity. I'm a good person. Um, but, and I often say that like, even when you have those moments, like I'll share a story now to kind of tie this all together. Even when you have those big moments where you've shown a lot of integrity, it's, it's a you versus you situation. You know, it's, it's a win that you go home to bed with by yourself. Like you're like, I did the right thing. And I feel good about that. No one was watching. Integrity to me is something that like you do when no one's watching. That's like, you know, so you either do that or you don't. And that's a battle that you have to navigate. That, that's something that you have to navigate. It's not your boss is going to come up to you and be like, hey, I noticed that, you know, you're, you have a lot of integrity in those things, those moments in your mind by yourself that I didn't notice. Like, it's so undetectable, you know, it's the visible version of that where the world sees you, it's a very low percentage, maybe 2%. Will you ever be in a position where you can take a noble stance and like your integrity gets seen and like, it's like, wow. That, that person is really good. Most of the time, it's an internal marker for yourself. And mm-hmm. a story that I had where I actually got to see integrity in real time for myself, not like, you know, I was trying to do something to impress my parents and I was trying to do something to impress a teacher in a very big, obvious moment, but like a moment where integrity hit me in the face. And it was an unpackaging of a lot of things. And I'll share a longer winded story, but I think it really ties in nicely with this conversation. I was, I had just moved out um 18 years old and figuring things out for myself financially figuring things out for myself about life like really going through the idea of formulating what that moral compass for myself was what is that guiding that light for myself you know really going through the motions of all of that and I was really dealing with a lot of financial struggle uh during that time period and I wanted to change that and so I was working really hard. I was saving all of my money, being very frugal, like didn't care about my diet at all. It was about saving a dollar. Like I was eating horrible, just wanted to save money. I was trying to get out of this, you know, the stress that I was feeling from finances. Um, And so I had done a great job of executing that plan. And I started to save a little bit of money. And it was, you know, I was like, wow, I have a thousand dollars to my name that I don't have anywhere to allocate this to like, uh, you know, and like, I'm not as stressed about rent. And, and so I was like, what natural people do when you start making money is like, what's the next thing I can take on? You know, how can I make more money now? You know, so um, I convinced my best friend to like, do this, this job in Chicago. Um, It was a door to door. It was a summer job. I also wanted to play high level basketball. So for me, I was like, the best thing that could happen for me is if I could save enough money that I could commit to playing basketball and not worry about the finances, like not have to work. Like, so mm. I can focus on playing sports. So mm-hmm. like, that was the, the problem I was trying to solve in my life at the time. I'm like, I know how to make money if I continue to put in the hours and like, keep, like, you know, if I have the same schedule that I'm having, it's great, but I, I need time now. I need time back to get good at basketball and I don't need the money. So I'm like, how can I, in this four month summer that we have, make enough money so that I can, when I go back to school, I can focus on basketball and not have to work as much, have a buffer. And there was these people at school that were like, hey, you can work in Chicago or Austin. Uh, We pay for your rent. We pay for everything. All you have to do is it's door-to-door sales, essentially. And they were selling pest control. And there was all these success stories. Um, And so I go to a meeting. I meet these people. They're very inspiring. They're salespeople. They're very good at what they do. Very Mm -hmm. inspiring. These are the stories of last year. You know, you're capable. You have all the power. This is, and then a guy goes up and you're like, this guy made $20,000 last summer. What the hell? I can make $20,000. <laughs> and, 
And so I get myself all hyped up. I'm like, this is perfect. It's a great plan. I go here. If I can make $20,000 in the summer, come home, rent's basically figured out. And then I can just like focus on basketball and like, like get to my dreams. My other buddy, who's also in a similar boat, way better than me at basketball. I was like, Hey man, this would be great for you too. Then you don't have to worry about the financial stress and all of that kind of stuff. Like, why don't we both go? You're already on a basketball team. I'm trying to make the basketball team. This would be great for both of us. And then we can train while we're down there. We can like work, train, kill two birds, with one stone, and then come back in September and be set. That was probably the best sales I did in this whole entire thing. I didn't make a sale after that. I sold him on the idea and didn't make a sale after that. <laughs> so we go to Chicago and um, we go to this outlet mall. And at this time, I am frugal. I'm telling you, I didn't eat. I was eating like crap. Like I had made money, but it was not in like a luxury way. It was like the mm. worst way you can make money. Sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. Right. And I remember going into this sunglass hut and the salesperson in there was like, yo, try on these glasses. And I put them on and I'm like, whoa, these are sick. Like I had not bought anything expensive at that point in my life. And it was like, I had these sunglasses on. I'm like, damn, man, these are, these are nice. And my buddy is giving me the nudge. Like he's like, yo, bro, those, those are sick. And I'm like, how much are these? And he's like, they're about like $280 USD. I'm like, yeah, right. <laughs> put them down, leave. A part that I missed in this story actually was I saw those same sunglasses like a couple, maybe like three months ago in my, in my, in my city. And I mm. saw them and I was like, those are really nice, but didn't even put them on. Didn't do anything. Right. Just like clocked it in my mind. It was something that was living in the back of my mind. Like, I'm like, those are really nice sunglasses. Fast forward. Now I've tried them on. I've been in the sales cycle. Mm -hmm. This guy's trying to sell them to me. I've said, nah, that's way too much money. That's way out of my moral compass. No. Fast forward a month. We're back at that same outlet. I go back into the store again. Same guy's there. He goes, you're back. You're here to buy the glasses. I'm like, no, no, no. I just wanted to check them out again. But my moral, I'm, I'm literally changing. My idea is changing. Like, I'm like, I want to make this purchase. I've worked so hard. Mm -hmm. I've done all this. I've sacrificed so much. If I can't buy a pair of damn glasses, but I'm not, I don't feel good about this whole entire thing, but I'm trying to get over. It. I'm trying to get over it. He's like, and he's saying all the right things. Listen, when you buy expensive things, you take care of them. Cause all my fear was like, I'd lose a $280 pair of glasses. And then, right. like, you know, so he's tired. He's like, listen, when you buy something you care about, you never, you know, you're going to take more care of it. You're going to know how much you spent on it. You're going to treat it like a prized possession. Like I'm getting the real lesson of like quality stuff. I've never bought quality things. Everything I had bought up until that point I could lose and I wouldn't care about. Mm -hmm. um, and he did a job. He did, he did his job. He convinced me. And I remember looking at my buddy being like, hey, man, like, I think this is a step in the right direction for me. Like, I'm trying to, like, unpackage being frugal and, like, actually, like, taking care of myself and buying something that I want and all of these things. And I buy them and I'm like, he's like, do you want to wear them out? I'm like, yeah, man. So I put them on. I'm wearing them out. And he gives me the case. I put it in my bag of, like, other shopping things that I had. Uh, if anyone's gone to the, the States, you know those, like, outlet malls that are outside or there's just a mm -hmm. ton of stores all on discount. I'm in one of those. So we got so many shopping bags. Um, and this, and the selling down there is going horrible, by the way, the experience is going so bad. So this is a little bit of retail therapy as well. Cause mm. we are not doing well. Like right. the whole plan is falling to shits. So I'm probably going <laughs> to go home at this point too. Um, my buddy's like, I'm quitting, man. This is horrible. Like it was just not a good experience at all. Um, but it was a good learning experience. Anyways, I, I put the sunglasses on my buddy was like, yo, you look sick. Like things are great, blah, 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 blah. I'm like the euphoric feeling. I, I will never forget. Like I was, I felt like I was floating on clouds. Like 
it was just, I felt so empowered by a materialistic thing, but it was more about the accomplishment. It was more about the, like the taking that step in the right direction, getting out of a poor mindset and like actually being like, no, you are worthy of saving money and buying things that you like. Like a lot of things I'm, 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 I'm in this moment. I'm a lot of things are coming to the surface, my childhood, everything. The next store we go to is the Nike outlet. So we're going from, it's, it's a little walk, maybe like seven minutes. And we go, we go to the Nike store and I put all my bags down. I get a stack of shoes that I want to try on. And I put on these shoes standing up in the mirror. I'm checking them out. I'm like, yo, do you like these? Do you not like these? I do this for like two or three pairs of shoes. And then nothing really, you know, stuck out. I didn't want to buy anything. So I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm good, man. I don't want to buy anything else. I go to grab my bags and all the glasses and they're gone. My bag is there. My wallet's there. My keys are there but the sunglasses aren't there. I'm like, what the hell? That's weird. And so I go into the bag. I'm like, did I put it back in the case? Go into the bag, look in the case. They're not there. So I look at my buddy. I'm like, Hey man, where are the sunglasses? Like I just put them right here. He was like, I don't know, man. I didn't see them. Now I'm panicking. Now I'm like, where are these sunglasses? I own those sunglasses, Kyle, for eight minutes. They got stolen. No, they got stolen. I owned those glasses for eight minutes. So now I'm like, we're getting security involved. I'm like, we need to check the cameras. I am, I am so mad. I went from the most euphoric feeling I've ever felt to the most angry I've ever been. I am, I'm yelling at people that don't deserve it. I am, I am very angry. I am like, my glasses were right here. How do you not have a camera that checks this angle? I am, I'm ugly. It's not, it's not a pretty scene and they're gone though. The reality is, is that these glasses are gone. Someone walked by, snagged them as I was like getting up and down, trying on shoes or whatever. So I go back to the store. I go back to the salesman. I go, listen, man, someone just stole the glasses. Like, what can you do? And there's nothing he can do. Like, but he's trying to come up with solutions for me. Like, he's mm. like, listen, there's this, there's this. He's like, oh my God, we're like, have you checked the cameras? Have you done this? Like he's trying to, but none of it, I'm realizing that none of it is actually going to equate to me getting anything out of the situation. Like it, the, the, it's done. Like mm-hmm. it's done. The glasses are gone. And like the frustration and like, it's, it's going from anger to emotions. I want to cry. Like there's a lot of things that are going on. I'm very, very upset. I've never spent that kind of money before. And, um, at the very end, he goes, like, we do have another pair. Like, you could repurchase it, but, like, that's the only, like, we don't have, like, I, there's nothing else I can do for you. Mm-hmm. Like, like, like you, you could buy another pair and there's nothing else. And I, I don't know what it was, but there was a weird thing that came over me that was, like, buying another pair feels right because I don't have anything right now. Like, I have nothing. I'm out the money. I'm out the experience. I have nothing. To, to me, this is just a big loss. Buying it again at least is like, yeah, we paid double for the same pair of glasses, but I can physically hold something that like, I'm like, I have something to show for this experience. Like I at least get to keep something. And I'm, I'm, I can't even believe I'm thinking about buying it twice. Like I'm like, how can I mentally be thinking about buying something for a second time, even though I've never spent, so now I'm gonna spend 500 and something dollars on one pair of glasses. And I remember leaving and be like, nah, man, that's not the idea. And I leave and I'm like, like, I want that feeling again. Like I had them, like, I already know what it feels like to own them. Like, 
anyways, I commit, I convince myself that I want to buy them again. So I go back to the store. I'm like, Hey man, I want to buy them again. And he's like, okay. So he rings it up and he's like, he's empathetically, he's like feeling so bad for me. Like, he's just like, honestly, man, if I had another discount, like I would, if I had my staff discount, I would give it to you. But like, I'm out, like, I don't have a staff discount anymore. Like I'm finished. Like I would like, he's, he's empathetically is so in the moment. I'm like, no, it's okay. It's all good. Blah, 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 blah. He's like, all right, this is the price. So I go to tap my credit card. It declines. I'm like, oh, that's weird. Um, he's like, yeah, yeah, try again. And then he's like, do you want to wear them out again? I'm like, no, I'm not learning that lesson again. He's like, I'm putting them in the bag. He's like, okay, cool. So he hands it to me. I put it in the bag. Um, and I go to tap my credit card again and it's declined. And he's like, sorry, man, it's not going through. Like, do you have any other way to pay? I'm like, I have debit. He's like, yeah, we don't take Canadian debit cards though. He's like, but there's an ATM. Why don't you go to the ATM? It's just like around the corner, go to the ATM, get the cash out, come back. And then I could, we can do it that way. I'm like, okay, cool. Say less. So I leave, I go to the ATM, I put my credit card in, I take the money out. This ATM was probably like a five minute walk. And as I'm walking back towards the store, I realize something. I have the sunglasses in my bag. I got the cash in my hand. I got the sunglasses. The second pair is in my bag. And the direction I'm walking towards is towards our car. Like if I just go straight, I can get in my car. I can go home. And it's like, I paid one. I like, it's like I've paid for one pair of glasses and this whole experience is over. It's done. The pain of it is gone. Everything is gone. Eye for an eye. You hit me. I hit you. Life's good. And I will, I'm not going to lie to you. I was halfway to the car. I made the decision. I'm doing this. Like, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm walking towards, there was the, I was supposed to take a left, went straight. I'm going straight. I'm like, I'm in the parking lot. Feet are on parking lot soil. And it was just like an internal feeling of just being like, it was the first time I really felt the universe being like, this is what you do when I test you. Like, it was like, there was nobody around but me and the universe. And I was like, nobody knows what's going on here but me. And I literally felt like, I remember looking up and being like, hmm, this is what a test looks like, huh? <laughs> I was like, this is what a test of integrity looks like. And I remember turning back around, going back into the store and the guy being like, dude, I'm so happy you came back. You have the glasses. And I was like, I know. And he was like, wow. Like he was, I remember him being like, dude, I could have lost my job. I could have lost this. I could have done this, all these kind of things. And I go to, I go to pay and, um, I paid, I leave. And I remember the lesson that I took away from that moment and that I always kind of is that feeling that I felt that high and low that like euphoric feeling to like the most frustrated I've ever been. Integrity is one of those things where I was like, how can I, I just felt that emotion for myself. 
why would I put someone else through that exact same emotion? I just felt it. I literally just felt what being wronged was. And then now I'm in 10 minutes later going to wrong somebody else. Somebody who trusted me, who trusted me to go to the ATM and come back and has been doing me favors. Like the ability for us to pass the buck when it comes to like such a, like if you know what it feels like to be wronged, like you know what it feels like to be on the, the other end of something negative and unfortunate. And integrity is the idea of understanding to me in that moment. It was the idea of understanding that don't pass that feeling on. You know what it feels like. You just felt it, not even five minutes ago. And all you do when you fall out of integrity is you pass the buck. You just, I was wronged, so I wrong. And you justify your actions by doing things like that is, well, I was wronged. So, you know, and I think that if more of us were in line with our integrity and we had a lot more integrity, we would pass less bucks and we would wrong less people. Um, and that, 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 that was one of those experiences that like, I will never, I, like, I, I, I tell my friends and stuff like that's the story I'll tell my kids because it was, it just was so, I could have been gone. And no one would have, no one would have known. Like it would, I would, I, I'm from Canada. This is in mm-hmm. the States. <laughs> like no one would have known, you know, that TikTok. They're never going to know. No one's going to mm-hmm. know. No, no one's, one's going to know. know. It was that man. And I just remember being like, you know, I made a decision that day. I made a choice that I'm going to choose to be a good person, like regardless of my self-benefit, you know? And yeah, I paid 500 and whatever many dollars for one pair of sunglasses and the irony of that sunglasses too i I think i kept them for two years and i ended up losing them in an outlet mall (laughs) those things were not meant to be yours is what i'm gathering from this conversation (laughs) they were not meant to be mine they were not meant to be mine oh wild but the what i take from that is yes if you had walked away no one would know but you would have known and how long can you go through the you knowing before it just becomes unbearably unbearable? Like the shame and the guilt that comes from that. We feel like we don't in those moments, it's not going to happen and it will. And you feel a little hint of it, right? You felt that when you were walking away, you knew at some level there was shame and guilt already. You already felt it. And the difference is you chose to listen to what was happening versus act like it wasn't there. And the idea of ignorance is bliss. If I just pretend like this never happened, for the next 20 years of my life, I'll always remember that one time I sold that $280 pair of glasses. It will never leave your mind because the shame and guilt would have stayed because it doesn't matter if other people know, you know. Mm-hmm. And that is such a great example of being whole and undivided. Because if you had lived the next 20 years of your life, remembering that one time that you did that because you fell out of your integrity and you fell out of your whole and undividedness, you'd be divided. You'd be in this weird little middle ground that doesn't feel right. Cause you're like, Oh man, I should have never done that. Now that's not to say you can't forgive yourself over time, of course, because that was, you know, at a point in your life where that's just where you were at. Um, but it's just fascinating how quickly like the, the trajectory of your life can change, mm-hmm. but it's beautiful. Cause what you represented there is the thinking about other people outside of yourself, not living in the space of the universe revolves around you and living in the state of wholeness, which does in my, from my perspective, the idea of being whole and undivided, uh, it doesn't just involve you. 
although it is, you are a big component being whole and undivided is also understanding that there is a like collective conscious as a collective here that lives and breathes in that unity and in that in, in integrity. It lives there too. And it doesn't just involve you. It's the integrity of the world that includes you. Um, and how can you contribute to that? Such a beautiful episode. Thank you for sharing. I think that's, that's tough. Cause to be honest with you, I actually thought you were going to take them the way the story, like not to challenge your integrity, but I was like, he's taking them for sure. He's taking them. Why wouldn't you in that situation? Like uh, how, how hilarious that is, right. Of how quickly we can adopt this idea of like, yeah, you took them and other people would have been like, yep, sounds about right. And no one would have blinked an eye mm-hmm. because also too, what's that, what that says is that we definitely live in a space where there isn't really a demonizing effect when someone breaks a rule or breaks like some sort of like traditional law. It's like, Oh yeah, well you were at that point. So it is what it is like that's so far in the past doesn't matter. But for you, it's like, no, that's not really how that works for me. Cause it's not just about this instant gratification. It's about the delayed gratification. There's multiple components here. Mm-hmm. And how do I align myself with all of this in my truth, in my alignment, in my whole and undividedness. Mm-hmm. Great story. And then like, you know, the, the, sometimes I go back to that story and there's just there's other elements that I learned about myself in that story too. Right. It was, it, it was the original lesson of abundance too. You know, it was that like, you'll be able to make this money back. You know, it was money in, money out, money in, money out. Like the idea, the, the, the part of the story that's lost is that like, at that point I was poor minded. So it was like, mm-hmm. like I didn't, like I was struggling to spend the $280. This man spent 500, like he spent double, the, <laughs> double what he was comfortable with paying, you know? And if you didn't have, a, if, if my brain wasn't understanding an abundance mindset at the time, or at least challenging that idea, I would have never made the decision of coming back. You know, it would have mm-hmm. been like, I would have seen it being as like, I'm already out by spending that, you know, you're just like, you're in a very, and that's why I say that, evolving sometimes is not as much the the understanding of it's 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 doing something even if you're like it does right now it doesn't feel right mm-hmm. right now i don't believe in abundance right now but i can try to believe in it you know i can try to believe in abundance i can try to believe in manifestation i, I i'm I, everything about me at that point was poor but that day if you would have looked at my receipts i you would have thought i was rich as hell <laughs> right and it's mm-hmm. the it's the act of you know, un- unraveling those experiences that allow you to be like, okay, cool. Like I can I maybe accept an idea of abundance, you know? Mm. Um, and so, yeah, there's times I go back to that story and it's like, it's the first time I ever felt like there was that, that, that thing that was looking over me, whatever religious universe it was the first time I got w- I awake to that. I was like, wow. Like I remember genuinely looking up, like looking up and being like, Mm-hmm. you are testing me like this is a test <laughs> and you think I'm going to fail. And it was a pride too. Like it was like, you, it almost felt like you want me to fail. Like mm-hmm. you're serving the test. So on a silver platter, I'm not, I'm not. And it was, I, it was like my black sheet moment. Like, no, bro, you're not going to, you're not going to sun me into this, like whatever. No, I'm different. Like, and I can handle being different. You know, I can handle being different. I can, I can manage this process. I can do it the right way. Um, so many things came up for me in, in, in that moment. And in that moment, I was just, you know, acting, you know, I was finding, you know, alignment in my actions and my beliefs in that moment. But what I didn't realize and now sharing this story I'm recognizing is how many lessons in that moment were being taught to me that I'm like, just, 
just mm. like living out now, you know, like I'm just living those ideas out now, but they were birthed that day, you know? Um, and it's, it's been a crazy ride since that experience, you know, I, I came back and, you know, I was able to come back to university and I was able to, you know, face that basketball challenge. I was able to, you know, make enough, like I was able to like get out of the poor mind mindset and I was able to, you know, uh, accumulate enough, uh, experiences with, you know, money and the transaction of money. And, um, yeah, it was a lot of things I was breaking up in, in that experience. And so it's a story that really always sucks, sticks to me. And I'm glad I got to share it on an episode like this, because I think that integrity was the foundation of that story um, mm-hmm. and was the backbone of that story, though I learned other lessons in the process. Yeah, Absolutely. And one thing I want to take away from that conversation and really just our conversation today is something that I haven't shared yet is that the process of integrity has become a space where it involves a ton of remembering. And what I mean by that is an unlearning of all of the things we've been taught and remembering the nature of how we actually feel what's actually happening in our nervous system, in our body, in our heart, in our mind, like what is, what is being and being asked to express, being asked to be done by us internally, like you keep saying, and to be expressed externally. That for me is the journey of, of realigning with our integrity. Cause I, I believe that we live in an unfortunate reality where uh, we, we all just have forgotten. We all just went through a massive forgetting. And through the process of some of the, the grander universal things that are happening in our world and just the process of, of life is uh, the way that I, the narrative that I subscribe to right now is that we come into this world knowing as a child, we know we have all of the knowing and slowly we're given all of this stuff that makes us forget. And then as we get older, we reach a stage where we start to go back to that remembering. So it's a three stage process. We go back to the remembering. We, we start to analyze and remember and, and unlearn all the lessons and the beliefs and the structures that we were given and start to realign with that knowing that we had when we arrived here. And so that for me is the, my journey personally and my takeaway from this conversation about integrity is that I'm unlearning things. And sometimes that doesn't necessarily feel good because I've been given these things for so long, for so many years, and it feels like that's the truth. It feels like that's the nature of who I am and what I'm supposed to do. And yet somewhere within that, there's still a level of resistance that I feel. There's still some level of disconnection that I feel, the feeling lost, feeling ungrounded. There's still those levels that are existing, even though it feels like this is still the right answer. And maybe smoking weed is not my right answer, but if I'm not curious about it, then how do I know? Where's the knowing? Because otherwise I'm living in a black and white when life is never black and white. It's in the middle. It's gray. It's colorful. So what am I integrating there? How am I embodying that? And what I recognize through my journey is my body's telling me much more than my mind is. Mm-hmm. My mind is trying to give me this narrative, this belief, this idea, this structure that this is the right answer. But my body is telling me no. And I'm rejecting my body. I'm rejecting the instinctual feeling that's coming through me. I'm rejecting my heart. I'm rejecting those things because it doesn't make sense because they're unseeable, but I feel like I can put my thoughts on this piece of paper and it makes sense, but I can't put the feeling of my stomach on a piece of paper and make it make sense. Mm-hmm. And something the hard, wanted, go ahead. I was going to say something I wanted to add to that too, because I think it's an important layer is, 
you know, your body sometimes gives you a very empty answer. It's very, it's, it's a, it's usually one thing. Like you're, you're, think about your friend that is the worst communicator. Think about your friend that is the best communicator. Your mind is often your friend that's the best communicator and your body is your friend that can't communicate anything. But they still both feel something, right? And I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example. My body in that moment was like, this doesn't feel right, bro. That's it. That's all it gave me. My mind, dude, you've been wronged. Eye for an eye. This, that it, your mind is very good at giving you the laundry list of reasons why you should and shouldn't do something. But your body just goes, oh, I don't know, man, it doesn't feel right. And it's hard, to, it's hard to trust that. Like, you're like, can you give me some more body? Like, that's mm. it? Like, all you're going to give me is that little, like, like, it doesn't feel right. That's it? Can I, can, what, what's, your, what's, your, what's your reasoning? Can you give me something? And you're told to trust that? When your mind is giving you A, B, C, D, E, F, G, gives you all these great reasons, dude, you just got robbed seven minutes, mm-hmm. like this and that, right? And so when we leverage our mind sometimes and ignore the body, that's the problem that we have. It's your body is like that friend that can't communicate how they feel to you. Mm-hmm. And your mind is like that, that friend who's, is, your mind is a lawyer. Your mind mm-hmm. is great at communicating its points. And so and, yeah. you don't and, trust that. No, we don't. And how fascinating it is to, um, to tie it all into a beautiful loop is when it's a complicated answer, it's probably the wrong one. But when it's the simple one, it's probably the right one. Cause in what you just express is your body gives you one, one hit. It says, this is probably wrong. And your mind says X, Y, Z, A, B, C, one, two, three, I, 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 like all of these things. And you're like, Oh, okay. I haven't seen from all those angles when your body's like, bro, I literally gave you the, the, the answer. It's probably not right, and you're like, well, that doesn't this doesn't sound complicated enough. It sounds too simple. Why would it be that simple? And how hilarious it is that we live in this world where we just feel like it needs to be complicated to make sense. How often you read a simple quote and you're like, no, but you read a complicated quote and you're like, oh hell yeah, sold. Such a representation of of where our integrity lies. And we often hear people always say like, you know people achieving great things or, you know, finding, you know, self-fulfillment. And then we listen and we interview them and we're like, Hey, and they're like, I know it sounds pretty cliche, you know, and then they give some really simple, basic, like little tiny thing. And you're like, how can all these people be living cliche? Like, right. You know, and we don't want to, ex- we don't want to accept it. We don't want to accept it. Cause it has to be more, it's gotta be more complicated than that. So to wrap up the conversation, man, there's been so much value. I don't think we could have asked for a better conversation about integrity. I think examples, learnings, reflection, things that came up out of nowhere, lessons that we thought we learned that are now being learned differently. I think that's the beauty of the journey of integrity is it's just, it's constantly moving in some sort of direction. And we're just trying to navigate, I think, you know, what that direction looks like. And sometimes that direction changes because it feels more truthful to go to the left than it does to right now. And it's okay that that changes. And that's something for me, I guess the takeaway could be is that I always felt like it had to be left or right. Like if I was going left, it could never change from going left. I could never break that direction. I could never start to veer right because right didn't make sense at the time. So I made a decision. It was black and white, one or two. And I chose one and sent it, just gave it my all. And there's beauty to that. 
because it shows my commitment level, right? Which again, feels, feels good. feels like, okay, I'm committed. That must mean I'm a good person. But the reality of it is that it's okay that I changed my mind because it doesn't feel truthful anymore. It's like, I grew up thinking, for example, that I was guaranteed going to get married one day that I was going to be legally binded by this space. And as I navigated my space as an adult, I'm like, no, I don't really think that feels right anymore. Things have changed. I feel differently now, but I felt bad about admitting that because it didn't make sense in the idea that, wait, didn't you already make that decision? Why are you changing your mind? And the idea that I can't change my mind has been a struggle for me. It's like, why can't I? And that always challenges what I felt like was my integrity. Cause I would say something with my word and that meant the ultimatum. That was the end all be all when the truth of it is, is there's other components that are trying to speak up and I'm not giving them a voice because I'm just simply using my word, but my word isn't really my integrity. My word is just how I'm expressing my integrity. So how do I allow that to be more embodied by what is actually coming through me and recognizing that over time, I will change over time. I will see a different perspective that will change me. I will hear something that will change me. That will happen. And that is okay. And that is something to grow, to be comfortable with through practice, because to think that we're one person through this lifetime is unrealistic, but I remember pursuing that. And I remember being a part of that journey. And I remember feeling the, the resistance, but doing it anyway, saying, yeah, well, that's just how we do it. So how the world does it. never changing your mind. Don't ever think differently. Think one way. And it never feels good, but we do it anyway. I laugh at myself reflecting. It's a hilarious journey, but I've realized that I can change my mind right now if I wanted to, and that's okay. I could go for this damn weed example. I smoke a blunt tonight, and that's okay. That doesn't challenge my worth. That doesn't challenge who I am. It just means that's what I tried. It didn't feel right. Now we move on. It's a journey. Being willing to do that is tough, but so worth it. So that would be my biggest takeaway from this conversation and things that I've learned. What about yourself? What's your biggest takeaway from this powerful conversation, man? Wow. Yeah. And this, uh, you know, you did a beautiful job there of just, you know, getting back to what we always preach here. Uh, you know, modern masculinity is this idea of honoring the journey, you know, just getting back to honoring that, honoring that journey. And, you know, when you are honoring the journey and you're allowing yourself to evolve as a person and you're allowing yourself to, you know, have ego death and, you know, show different versions of yourself, um, you find more clarity and in that moral compass, you find more clarity in being united in in who you are and what you want to be, um, instead of, you know, who others might want you to be. Um, so yeah, back to back to honoring that journey for me, I think, you know, the biggest takeaway, um, just about this conversation, you know, I, I, is that what we're talking about here isn't going to get recognized by other people. You know, this isn't, this is such a, this is such a personal thing. It's going on inside of you. And, you know, the fact that this isn't something that gets recognized by other people and is something that's happening inside of you and is internal means you got to listen to something that's happening internal. <laughs> the judge is the internal, you know, cause it's only happening within you. So, you know, using yourself, as your, your marker for how you're doing within integrity, you know, you are the judge of this. Um, and the world we live in today is, is almost going away from integrity because a lot of people are falling out of it because they're trying to find short wins 
they're trying to find attention. Um, and so the way that like, we're going to really, really, we're going to get really far from integrity, uh, you know, and we are already getting really far from integrity. Um, you see people on their social media is acting differently than to what you think that they are. You're like, whoa, why are you doing that? You know, that's not who you are. Like, that's not even know who I know who you are. So it must feel really weird for you because you're inside mm-hmm. your own body. Like, that's not even how I know you. So how out of alignment are you, you know? Right. So, um, I think that that ties beautifully with the, you know, the concept of why we spelt masculinity with a mask. You know, I think that the mask is also a big part of the integrity. Integrity to me is, and I heard a beautiful, um, you know, someone who was talking about this, he said that, you know, in superhero movies in the beginning, it's this mask, it's this guard, it's, you know, it's Iron Man, it's whatever it is. But then by the end of the movie, the whole premise is to find out who the human behind it all is, right? It's like, it's this demasking of somebody. And I think integrity mm. is, is is not the character that we see at the beginning of the movie, but the character that we see at the end of the movie. And mm. um, that's a very powerful and long journey. It's hard to it's hard mm-hmm. to put those things down. It's hard to actually show your face. Um, but it's 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 the place to be, um, and it's what you should aim for. And you're the, you're the judge of that. So um, mm. trust yourself. What's up, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Modern Masculinity Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and we invite you to join us next week as we put out content every single Wednesday. Our goal with this platform is to create a community to support men on their journey of becoming conscious kings. And in saying so, if you took any value out of this episode or previous episodes, please share, download, subscribe. And if you're feeling really up to it, go ahead and leave a review. You can follow us at Modern Masculinity. Remember, the K, it's with a K, not a C, to represent the mask that we wear. And like always, thank you for listening. And we'll see you next week.